Hello, and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast that covers magic, houseplants, and more. I'm Shannon. And I'm Nick. And we're your co-hosts. So today, I'm going to be covering one of my favorite edible nightshades, potatoes, or S. tuberosum. Uh, and I'm also going to talk about why you shouldn't always bury a spell, because like, let's let's love the planet, peeps. Uh, love that. Also, po potatoes potatoes oh my god uh yes. I'm, really, I'm really feeling like uh okay so so you know so just since we're in the intro we're keeping it kind of light we're keeping it kind of fun um i love lord of the rings um, oh my gosh samwise gamgee also uh i have very hairy feet so i've always sort of identified as a hobbit and also i love potatoes so uh, i'm i'm spiritually a hobbit yeah, I, I'm spiritually um, a hobbit. But so <laughs> this week, I'm going to be talking about one of the most important fundamentals of spell work, the foundation, if you will, grounding. <laughs> uh, I'm also going to be talking about Persephone. Uh, so you guys, welcome to the Basic Witches episode. I would encourage you to pour up some pink Moscato, put on your 90s choker, and let's get basic. I, I just have to say, there's nothing more basic than your dad humor pun about the foundation of spell work being grounding. Um, thank you. <laughs> uh, I literally am a dad uh, to cats. So <laughs> You are a great cat daddy. Um, anyway, well, yeah, I, I think it's, it's fun to sort of go back and, and talk about some more of the basic stuff. Cause you know, Nick and I, we have these conversations where we're trying to come up with what the next few episodes are going to look like. And when we first started out, we kind of thought, you know, our target audience was going to be people that maybe were like already practicing witches. And there's a lot of that for sure. But we've also heard from a lot of people that are really new on the path. And I think even for those of us that have been practicing for a while, sometimes it's nice to kind of like go back to these like super introductory like topics and practices and kind of like get re-in-tuned with like the small little rituals that actually make being a witch so goddamn magical. Yeah, and you know, it's it's kind of one of those things like when we're talking about grounding where I think a lot of people who are interested in trying out witchcraft probably, you know, you just go online or you buy a book and you just want to try something right yeah. away. And not the best idea. Uh, you know, there's some <laughs> you're kind of laying the groundwork for your yeah, spell work by you gotta doing You got to crawl before you can walk. Exactly. So so here we are at the top of our episode about basic witches. We are basic witches. We really are. <laughs> um, but so like what better way to get back to those basics than to talk about grounding? Uh, so for those of you out there with anxiety, hello, hi, it's me. Oh, hello. Uh, Welcome hi. to the meeting. <laughs> um, you've probably talked to your therapist or psychiatrist about grounding techniques for when you have panic attacks. And for you guys, yes, this is similar, but not the same. Um, so what we're talking about today is grounding for doing spell work, and it should absolutely be part of your magical routine as well. See, a lot of what we do as witches is broadly categorized as energy work. And as such, grounding is an essential part of being ready for that. So diving right in. Uh, yeah. So step one of this is going to be kind of centering finding your center and what you can do to achieve this is um, doing a small meditation with some deep breathing so highly recommend doing this in a quiet space no phone no music outside is best weather permitting uh it's called grounding for a reason you'll find out later on uh so seated position on the ground or on the floor really is the best this is not something to do in a chair but you know we want to be um accessible to everyone so you know if that's not an option for you don't sweat it you can still do grounding but for all of the able-bodied people out there sitting on the ground on the floor gonna be 
going to be the best. Um, so you you start by doing what uh, has been described to me as square breaths. So that's in for four seconds, hold for four seconds, out for four seconds. Those are Mississippi seconds. So if you want to count that in your head, <laughs> feel free to do so. Uh, but you'll 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 find the rhythm. You know, you don't have to count every time. Uh, you'll you'll know. Um, but so you kind of do that until you feel relaxed. You're gonna feel your heart rate slow down. Your brain fog's gonna go away a little bit, and uh, you're, you're gonna be able to focus a little bit better. And so, for the focusing part, um, we're gonna we're gonna place our hands together, and you kind of feel your own energy flowing through you, kind of the heat of it traveling through your arms, between your hands, and then sort of space them apart ever so slightly and see how that feels. And so what you're looking for here is that kind of radiating heat. See, uh, I, I have hot hands and I'm not destined to be a pastry chef. So that rings especially true for me. Um, <laughs> but also that kind of staticky electric feeling or like the, the slight feeling of resistance when you kind of push your hands back. Um, so we're we're looking to feel our own energy and kind of get used to the flavor of it with this exercise. Um, and that's, that's something that's going to be really important to the whole thing is just knowing the flavor of your own energy, because otherwise you, you, you don't really know what you're doing with the rest of it. Um, so we're feeling our own energy. We're feeling centered. We've done some deep breathing. Now for the grounding experience. So uh, being aware of our energy allows us to do this next step, which will involve manipulating the energy. So much in the same way that grounding wires safely carry lightning from the top of a skyscraper into the ground, uh, we have to expel our own volatile energies so that we can be a conduit for the spell work that we are attempting. Uh, so if you don't do this step, you might find that you feel very off-kilter after doing spell work or doing tarot readings or scrying or astral projecting. Uh, and I'm going to say this later, but if you're not doing grounding, that could be a huge reason why you're feeling so drained. Um, you might also be giving like OP energy to a simple spell or be like so clogged up with your own gunk that you haven't activated a very intricate spell that you're attempting. So we really must clear the channels before doing any spell work. Now, what did I say, Shannon? You said any spell work. Any spell work. And this will directly lead to better results for you and your spells. So ideally, this next step is that you go outside and plant your bare feet firmly on the ground and visualize yourself pushing your energy into the ground. And that is why it is so important to get centered first and familiarize yourself with the particular feeling of your specific energy. And so what we're doing here actually isn't detracting from our spell work either, because I feel like sort of logically speaking, you're like, well, if I'm putting my my energy into the ground, what am I doing the magic with, right? Um, so our intentions and our actions are kind of completing the circuit. So we're like vessels for the universe's energies, and we can absolutely unintentionally pollute a perfectly good spell. So we need to be clean vessels to make everything run smoothly. And that is what grounding is about. So coming back around to the ritual of grounding, we actually don't live in an ideal world, surprisingly. Uh, and in Wait, Texas... what? We... This isn't I, an ideal one? I, You know, this... It might be the Matrix, but it's not an ideal world. <laughs> um, and I personally live in the part of the Matrix called Texas. And we have this really cool thing called fire ants every goddamn where. And uh, being barefoot in the grass is a somewhat rare luxury. Uh, in that case, a solution. 
Uh, symbolically speaking, a pot of soil can be a stand-in for the actual ground, and you can use your hands instead of your feet to ground your energy before beginning spell work. Absolutely recommended to change that soil out uh, regularly. Uh, just maybe at the maybe at the new moon, you don't just want to keep all your energy in there. Yeah, uh, we would explode. You know, you don't you don't want to do that. <laughs> You're gonna have a bad time. Um, so this is really gonna come in handy for those of you who, like me, live in upstairs apartments. Just a fresh pot of dirt. Put your hands in it. If it's big enough, you could put your feet in it. But we're changing it out, so don't use your expensive potting soil. Uh, yeah. Um, so, this is going to also be very useful uh, when you're doing this technique to use like a mantra when you're releasing your energy. Something like, there it goes, or let it flow. And that's basically the gist of it. Nothing super crazy, nothing super exciting, but a good and necessary part of magical hygiene. So here I will also add a few personal notes that I think are worth mentioning with this topic. Energetically speaking, writing for a while in a composting journal would be a great way to pre-game for a grounding session. Sort of like pre-gaming the pre-game to your magic. So just kind of letting all of that weird word salad brain diarrhea that's floating around in your head before you need your brain to be quiet for a few minutes uh, is going to help immensely, uh, especially for all of my ADHD babies out there. And uh, I know a lot of witches. And I know a lot of y'all have attention problems um so <laughs> and for those of you who don't know what like a composting journal is uh, a, a composting journal is sort of like a throwaway journal you just write stuff down whatever comes into your head doesn't have to be a story doesn't have to be like a description of your day you know like normal journaling just whatever you're thinking you write it down uh kind of like pre-grounding if that makes sense. And I, I really think that's like a very good thing to incorporate here. Uh, not necessary. You could just do the breathing, the grounding. You're going to be fine. But personally, I have trouble getting my brain to be quiet. So all the deep breathing in the world is not 100% cutting it. Um, so yeah, a little compost journaling. No problem with that pregame with it a bit um so i also would like to turn our attention to matters of fashion so what the fuck do my clothes have to do with any of this you may be asking yourself <laughs> a lot uh so witches were black and have done so since time immemorial and a big reason for that is that obviously while we are crafting we are creating sacred space and working with sacred energies, so we need to set an appropriately somber tone. Now, it also looks cool, but we also talk about the importance of color with our other magical supplies and the elements of spells. So something to maybe keep in mind is that the colors of your clothing carry an energetic charge as well. All of that to say that even though you might be a solo practitioner and really feel no compulsion to dress up like you would for circle time with a coven, it might just be worth considering at least skipping on the bright colors and jewel tones and opting for plain black or white or earth tone clothing before doing grounding work and doing other kinds of magic. And we certainly don't claim to be the fashion police. And um, do you excuse you? <laughs> I am a fashion policewoman, but continue. I'm so sorry, officer. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, do your magic naked if that's what speaks to you. But I personally feel that it gets you in the right mindset. And if we're worried about bringing the wrong energy into a spell by using the wrong colored candle, and we're taking the time to even do this kind of work, this is something that's very easy to factor in as well. 
you know, you don't want to be wearing like bright yellow, orange, and purple when you're trying to to ground yourself in a more earthy spiritual space. But to all of the beginning witches out there, the kikis who are trying to find their way in the world, you know, perhaps you've attempted some spell work and felt like you just ran a marathon. Or maybe you've created chaos in your own life with an overpowered spell. And if you've experienced this and wondered, what the fuck am I doing wrong? The answer may be staring you in the face right here. Grounding works. Grounding is important. Frankly, you're wasting your time trying to get into the craft if you cannot commit to doing these basic acts of spiritual hygiene. And if you're wasting your time and fucking around with witchcraft without taking it seriously, then I am so sorry, but you're basic. <laughs> I was so excited. I'm like, all I see is Ted Danson. Like, you're basic. It's a human basic. insult. It's devastating. You're <laughs> devastated right now. Um, <laughs> yes. And I just have to say, too, like, I think that in addition to it being so cool magically, there's been some, you know, recent research on this practice of like earthing or grounding. And, you know, there's a lot of theories around why it works. And, you know, of course, they say that you're able to like trade negative electrons with the earth to help you like, you know, really energetically balance out. And one of the things they say is like people in modern times feel so disconnected and have so many like inflammation issues related to things like always wearing rubber soled shoes. Um, and there actually was like a study in 2019 that showed that like grounding helped like reduce inflammation and speed healing times and things like that. Uh, but my favorite theory is that it can actually like help you connect to basically what the, they call like the earth's heartbeat because the earth does maintain like a specific resonant frequency and it's actually 7.83 Hertz is the frequency that the earth resonates at. And there's, you know, it's like a generally accepted scientific fact, but there's not a lot of, you know, understanding yet as to what that means for like the creatures and people that live on this planet. But I feel like if you're actually physically touching the earth, it also might help you like tap into that, you know, planetary heartbeat, so to speak. Well, you know, they, they kind of say the same thing about like a cat's purr. Yeah, 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 it's, yeah. It's very healing. It's a very healing frequency, and they don't know why, but they know that it works for certain yeah. things. Um, but I'm gonna do like actually, if if you think we have the time, um, uh, just a mini QWP. Yeah, like related to grounding. So, um, I follow this former fitness guy on YouTube, who is really into doing the whole like feed in the dirt grounding thing which good yeah yeah we like that we're telling y'all to do it right now no problems yet but uh he also advocates for while you were doing that staring directly at the sun oh no um, okay is his name donald trump oh my god no i but i was literally gonna say that is some donald trump shit feeling like and and so his um I don't want to give it away, but I'll tell you later. <laughs> uh, no, but um pretty much what he says is that if you do it at sunrise or sunset, it's fine. Oh, so it's just cool to stare at the sun sometimes. Yeah. Um so if you're a new witch and you're getting into grounding, and maybe you're looking it up on YouTube and some sort of muscular fitness guy is telling you that one of the best ways to do grounding is to also uh, do sun gazing at the same time. Fuck off with all that. You're going to burn your corneas. You're going to go blind. Yeah, don't look at the fucking sun. Don't look at the sun. Things that I didn't know I was going to need to say today. <laughs> uh, so great. Don't look at the sun. Mini QWP. If you're going to do grounding, do grounding. You don't need to look at the sun. You never need to look at it. You don't need to look it's at there, it. It's there, I promise. You don't have to check. <laughs> um, so, moving on. Uh, we have a very fun duty profile this week. And yes. it's one that I'm honestly kind of surprised that we haven't done yet. So, sort of as an intro to my segment on Persephone. Whoop, whoop. I 
was also shocked we hadn't already done Persephone. That's, right. It's we're just being fucking hipsters over here trying to come up with everything that like isn't the basics that people are probably like, what the fuck? We haven't heard about this one yet. Right. <laughs> um. So I wanted to talk about why Persephone was chosen for the Basic Witches episode. And so obviously Persephone is really cool. And it's totally understandable that so many witches resonate with her story. And so, like, that's not why. That is not why we're doing it this week. Persephone, as a goddess, definitely not basic. No, she is not basic. But every sort of copy-paste witch page on Facebook and Instagram has that same copypasta-ass image about if Persephone can be queen of the underworld and goddess of spring, so can you. And it's like a goth girl wearing, like, flowers in her hair. Oh, my God. It's like, look at you being so full of, con- like, con- contradictions. And it's like, no, man, how about we just, like, accept that people are, you know, complex. Right. But it's and- more fun to put it into meme, I guess. Right. And so, like, honestly, I get it. I think it speaks to our dual nature as both spooky witches and cottagecore bitches. And truly, it is understandable, but it is ubiquitous at this point. Like, every little hacky witch meme page has some kind of, like, little Persephone meme up. And I think, personally, it is a little reductive. And I think it misses some major points in the actual story. You know, because Persephone was not born queen of the underworld and goddess of spring. So, yeah, yeah, no, it's like, let's not romanticize everything without actually doing a little bit of critical thinking, y'all. Right. So, today we are looking past the aesthetic Tumblr post version <laughs> and into the meat of the tale. And uh, for the record, I do not ship Persephone and Hades. There is so much toxicity in this story, and it is not hashtag couple goals at all. Mm -mm. So let's just dive right in. And uh, starting from the very beginning, Persephone was the daughter of Demeter and, surprise, surprise, Zeus. Shocked Pikachu face. A horny old bastard Zeus. Goddamn. Uh, he could not keep that shit in his toga. No. I mean, I think that's kind of the whole point of the toga, if you know what I mean. It's Ooh. easy access. Yes. <laughs> so, Demeter was the goddess of agriculture, grain, and bread, who literally taught people how farming worked and blessed the land with fertility. Very cool. Yeah. Also... Her BFF was Hecate. So that's going to come into play later on. Ya girl. <laughs> ya girl. Uh, so pre-motherhood, there's no seasons. And Demeter's job is to see to it that each crop and fruiting tree came to fruition in its own time, which seems perhaps more relaxed for the plants, just kind of taking it easy and fruiting whenever they were ready. But I would say that sounds pretty chaotic for the people at home trying to, like, make meals and trying to figure out, like, what to make with a random assortment of fruits and vegetables all the time. Right. It honestly, like, reminds me of the worst parts about living in a place like Los Angeles. <laughs> right. It's like everything's in season all the time, always, Every- unless it's, it's not. It's always 75 and sunny. You don't get rainy days, especially not when you're in a drought. Every day is the same, which sounds cute until you do it for a fucking year. Right. Um, So naturally, when Persephone comes along, little baby Persephone, uh, old Zeusy boy isn't exactly the most hands-on father. I I know know we're shocked. You don't say. I know, I know. Uh, So she spends most of her time with her mother, learning the ins and outs of her mother's job, which was just, you know, sustaining life, basically. Small potatoes. Yeah, no big deal. Um, so we cut to Persephone as like a fully fledged young goddess. Um, they called her Kor or Cora, which means the maiden. And she was said to be just this like ray of light for everyone who was blessed enough to encounter her. And she was good friends with all the nymphs and nature spirits and spent lots and lots of time frolicking with them and making merry. 
and that's like that's like her whole deal as like a like a young goddess she's like a woo girl but make it classy right she like hangs out with the nymphs she you know she frolics and then she goes somewhere else and she frolics and everyone just loves to see it you know they (laughs) we're here for it yeah and and people regarded persephone as like a reminder of everything that was good and right in the world and was like this symbol of hope for just normal people so she was especially fond of the island of sicily and this is contested there's like six or seven locations where people say that this story happens but for the wands and fronds version we're saying sicily cool uh where the story takes a dark turn so all the while, Persephone is kind of coming into her own as this romantic, life-giving goddess figure in the overworld. Hades is down in the underworld with his, like, infinite number of lost souls, and there's no light, and nothing's alive, and it's cold, and things are, well, bleak, to say the least. Uh, so, he brokers up a deal with dad of the year zeus to marry persephone and of course greece being a patriarchal society zeus totally has permission to marry off his own daughter and that's just supposed to be a normal part of marriage stuff but hades feels no inclination whatsoever to try to court persephone and win her over in the uh normal way uh and of course old zeusy boy doesn't find it in any way pertinent to either tell Demeter or Persephone of the upcoming nuptials. So, Dick. Yeah. So, and sort of as is the way with these kinds of stories, a trap is laid by Zeus. Because he couldn't just ask her if she was cool with it. Fucking Zeus, man. You know, not, he couldn't ask his daughter if she was cool. I mean, because here's the thing. Hades was very high on the hierarchy. That's Zeus's brother. Yeah. Okay. Kind of weird that you have to marry your uncle, but that's how the Greek gods do things. And that's, I mean, that's kind of how Greeks did things too. But, you know, pretty high in the hierarchy, very powerful god, wouldn't have been a bad match, but there was no consent involved. Yeah. This is like consent? Who's she? Right. So so they, they make a trap. So Persephone is keeping up with her very, very busy frolicking schedule, uh, hanging out with the nymphs. So Zeus creates a beautiful field of flowers by a wild stream in Sicily. Now, you know, just kind of picture that in your head. Doesn't that sound lovely? Mm, Yes. Sounds so good. So, of course, Persephone has to go frolic in this beautiful field of flowers because she's carefree and she has her band of merry spirits with her. So, Hades is also in on this plan, of course, and rides up from the underworld on his shadowy chariot to claim his bride, blocking out the sun with his sort of dark underworld chariot on the way, which uh, we we might think of as um, total eclipse of the sun. So, the Mm. nymphs and Persephone are all busy eclipse-watching, when Persephone is snatched with godlike speed, mind you, from among her attendants, who were surprised when they turned back from the total eclipse of the sun uh, to find that their beloved leader is gone, uh, leaving behind only like a slick of ice on the ground. Oof. Which kind of gives away that it was Hades that took her away, uh, but she's gone, you know, there's no chase. There's no nothing. They're gone. They're back in the underworld. Uh, and of course, Persephone has to be dragged, kicking and screaming, down into the underworld, where she is forced to marry Hades and then raped brutally. Yeah. Again, not fucking hashtag couple goals. Not hashtag couple goals. And I'm so sick of seeing like fan fictions about like romanticizing Persephone and Hades because that's just so toxic. Yeah. Uh, And so a not so fun side note here is that this imagery is heavily represented in traditional Greek marriages at the time 
where the brides were encouraged to play at that they were unwilling to leave the family home. And so the husbands would like, you know, basically throw them over the shoulder and throw them in the chariot and then carry them away into a new life. Uh, so even if they were willing, they had to pretend to be like dragged out, uh, which very cool. Very not toxic right. at all. It's like um, not here to kink shame, but if that's your thing, like that's your thing. It's not fucking cool to make that the normal thing that you just do when you get married. Like, ha ha, you know, abduction and rape. Isn't that funny? Chuckle, chuckle. You <laughs> Right. Uh, but so it was also said that marriage was death and that you were reborn as a married person. So lots of Persephone, Hades influence on just the general idea of marriage, which is toxic as fuck. Yeah. What are you thinking, ancient Greeks? Ew. I am not into this. Xena would never. I want to write a strongly worded letter to Zeus. <laughs> not that he would give a shit, but I'm gonna. <laughs> I just want to say, Xena is a fictional character, but Xena would not put up with this. No. So. And honestly, what would Xena do? What would Xena do? Um, but okay, so back to the story though. So Demeter, which if you're keeping track, that's uh, Persephone's mom. She's pissed off that Persephone has gone missing. And remember that she does not know what's up. So she spends nine days searching the overworld for her with a Wands and Franz favorite, Hecate. She's back. We mentioned her earlier. She's here. Nick showed you the gun in the first act. Coming back it's in the true. third. So Hecate said that she had heard Persephone's screams, but didn't know where they were coming from. So they spent nine fucking days looking Jesus. for her. And finally, Dad of the Year, Zeus, uh, has has to come out with the real story. And so now Demeter is super pissed. God, I would not have wanted to like meet Demeter in an alley that day. Oh. So the story goes that she refused to go to Mount, back to Mount Olympus to attend court ever after that. And she would grant gifts to anyone who received her warmly here on Earth um, and just fucking severely punish and or kill people who did not uh, offer her the appropriate uh, offerings. Uh, so... She also goes on strike at this time. So she is refusing to do her job as the fertility goddess, which creates a famine that gets dangerously close to wiping out the mortal, a.k.a. human race, Zeus's mm. most precious creation. Isn't it funny how humans just became a weapon? Right. <laughs> so he realizes that he has fucked up royally and agrees to try to fix his mistake. So meanwhile, all of this is going on in the overworld and on Mount Olympus, uh, Hades is trying to woo the miserable Persephone. He offers her the finest in underworld offerings, which is mainly jewels, because jewels are not alive. And so while I would be the first one to be like, fuck yeah, bag of rubies, it is just not enough to stir her from her ennui. Yeah, I think when your ennui goes into, like, you know, immortal despair with a jackass uncle, it's going to take a lot more than a bag of rubies or even a bag of citrine, honestly. Right. So what does end up working and unfortunately sealing her fate is an offering of food, a pomegranate from the underworld, to be precise, six seeds of which, to be exact. Now, being the daughter of the goddess of agriculture, it is not surprising that food would have been some comfort to her at this time. Uh, and lots of people have speculated that the symbolism of the pomegranate, which starts its life as a flower representing feminine energy and becomes a fruit full of seeds representing a, a sort of masculine energy, was a very sexual thing to Greeks. They say that it sort of constitutes consent to the marriage. I personally say fuck that. It's just another trick. Yeah, fuck that. You don't get to, like, feed your captive and then, like, pretend like she said yes. 
Right. It's like, oh, you took the food. We're right? married now. Oh, no, that just, sorry, that just enraged me. <laughs> right. So, uh, so by the time Hecate arrives in the underworld to deliver the news that Persephone is free, well, there's a huge snag in the plans. Um, so anyone who has eaten underworld food is now of the underworld themselves. They cannot leave. Uh, so sort of much in the same way in Celtic mythology that if you ate the food in the realms of the Fae, you you now can never leave. Or if you eat the fruit in the Garden of Eden from the Tree of Knowledge, you don't ever get to go back to the holy place. Right. It's so, like, man, we have a weird thing with fruit, y'all. Yeah. Very suspicious of fruit. We are very suspicious of fruit. <laughs> uh, but so Zeus is the king of the gods and literally all of mankind hangs in the balance. So we strike a deal, right? So for each pomegranate seed that Persephone has eaten, she must spend one month of the year in Hades with Hades in the underworld. I'm sorry. So if you're doing the math, that's half the year. So Demeter agrees to make the land fertile again, but only during the period of the year that Persephone is allowed above ground. So keeping the land cold and dead the other half of the year in an act of defiance against Zeus for even scheming up this whole fucked up idea in the first place, but also as an act of mourning because her daughter is married now and she will never get her back in like the full way. And so fuck you, autumn and winter. Yeah, God, it's just heartbreaking. It really is. And and so if y'all are keeping up at home from the beginning of the story, this is why we now have seasons. Because before, it's just nice all the time. Uh, but I, you know, kind of on the social commentary side, you basically walk away from the story of Persephone with the idea that it could have just always been spring if we had just had consent for women in their marriages. Man. Uh, and since marriages were often officiated at temples to Demeter or Persephone, it is very hard for me to believe that this doesn't have like a larger symbolic implication to what the Greeks believed about marriage and love. Uh, so, you know, maybe maybe it was a good thing for them to, to, to hear this story and kind of think about what the woman goes through in these marriages. But honestly, though, I, I just think it's a very good story, but way too complicated to just be an aesthetic Tumblr post. Yeah, and nobody should be shipping Hades and Persephone. Like, she's she's got Stockholm Syndrome at best. Yeah, at worst, the, the she's best, just actively miserable for six months. The best year. case scenario is that she has Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah, exactly. It's like, if that's your best case, it's a bad case, y'all. That is not... A good relationship. No. Period. Not goals. Not goals. Full stop. Ugh. Well, fruit is suspicious as fuck. That's the moral of this story. Fruit is <laughs> suspicious as fuck. So we're going to talk about something that the fruit will actually kill you on. Uh, So we're doing a back to basics episode, right? And I had so many ideas of like plants and different things that we could cover before I landed on potatoes. But I am so glad this is what we're going with. Because first, potatoes are fucking delicious. And I will fight anyone who argues. Uh, but there are also a ton of ways to use like potatoes and magic. And you can definitely grow your own in a grow bag. Like these are something that are very easy for anybody to grow. Potatoes are, as I mentioned in the intro, uh, in the nightshade family, along with my other favorite food, tomatoes, which will be covered this summer. Don't worry about that. Um, but like the tomato, the vegetative and the fruiting parts of the potato contain the toxin solanine, which is the thing that's dangerous for human consumption. Um, potatoes that have been grown and like stored properly produce glycoalkaloids in amounts that are small enough that they aren't significant to human health. But if the green sections of the plant, those are like the sprouts and the skin, are exposed to high light levels, then the tuber can accumulate a high enough concentration of the glycoalkaloids to actually affect your health. And this is kind of a, a moment for me 
to put out there something that's very important and that is often like totally glossed over in like the fear mongering parts of the internet. Um, toxicity is in the dosage. So there's so much like nutritional fear mongering around things and we're not going to do that here. You know, it's like this idea that there are good foods and bad foods and like, oh, did you know there's arsenic in this? Yeah, there's arsenic in fucking apples. But like, you know, again, the dosage is what matters. So we're not doing that here in our community. Uh, There's a reason that potatoes have been eaten for thousands of years, and it's not because they're covertly trying to off the human race. And if they are, they're doing a shit job of it. So we should just enjoy the deliciousness anyway. So where do potatoes come from? you might be wondering. Uh, They're actually native to the Americas. And a genetic test that they did actually helped trace the wide variety of cultivars we have today all the way back to a single origin in what is now present-day southern Peru um, and northwestern Bolivia. And potatoes were domesticated between 7,000 and 10,000 years ago. And in the Andes region of South America, where the species is indigenous, some closer relatives of the potato are also cultivated, which definitely is now on my list of things to do whenever we finally travel to South America. I want to go eat the potato cousins. Oh my God, all the potato cousins. (laughs) All of them. I actually, I really love uh, that the Incas were like really we we eat incan potatoes like yeah. we really we really have not changed much of no. the 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 actual like varieties of potatoes like they had most of the potatoes that we eat were just growing in the incan empire you know you look at machu picchu those people those people that built that were eating fucking potatoes yeah man and if it ain't broke don't fix it <laughs> so if you learned this though and you might be wondering well, if they're from South America, how did they get to Europe? You know, because like the Irish potato famine, right? Like that's how my ancestors got to the U.S. Well, turns out potatoes were brought back to Europe by the Spanish in the second half of the 16th century. But one of the things that I find fascinating is like potatoes are now, though, like a vital part of the world's food supply. And as of 2014, they're actually the fourth largest food crop in the entire world behind corn, wheat and rice. So these things are pretty fucking important, which is also why we're not going to be weird and say that you should never eat potatoes. (laughs) Like, I I have strong suspicions around people that refuse to eat potatoes, if you can't tell. Um, Uh, You you know, but it's like, I don't know if you're talking about this later, but it's like the thing that makes potatoes such a good staple food is there's actually chemicals in potatoes that make them more shelf stable than something else that had that much starch in it like if uh, any other like vegetable that has that much starch and water in it would rot within a week on your shelf yeah potatoes are special and i don't get into it actually because there's so much other stuff to get into so i'm glad that you brought it up the compound is called potatins potatins oh my god i love that so much uh potatins and that's and that is what keeps them from going bad when they are harvested and just sort of in a cool dark place. Yeah, I love that. And you know, there are now over 5,000 different types of potatoes that all have that sweet potato in it. And my life's mission is to eat every species of potato. Um I can't imagine something better to do with a lifetime on this no, planet. No, absolutely not. <laughs> Um, So because I'm a big old nerd, like y'all are probably aware of, I did want to talk a little bit about the etymology of the various words we use to describe this delicious little, uh, this delicious little carb. And potato, of course, comes from like Spanish patata. And the 16th century herbalist John Gerard referred to sweet potatoes as common potatoes, and then used the term bastard potatoes for the species that we now call like potato, like white potatoes. So I officially decreed that we're going to bring back bastard potato because that's just like truly delightful. Um, And the name spud actually comes from like the digging of the soil prior to planting. And that word actually does kind of have like an unknown origin. Um, Spud was used as a term for like a short knife or a dagger, probably related to the Latin spade, which is like a root word for sword. But as far as spud, there's not like, there's not a clear historical etymology for exactly where that sort of jump came. 
And then this term subsequently transferred over to a variety of digging tools. And around 1845, the name spud was first used in New Zealand English to refer to the potato itself. Um, There's also this like weird fake origin story about a non-existent 18th century group that was dedicated to keeping the potato out of Britain. Uh, The group was allegedly called the Society for the Prevention of Unwholesome Diet or SPUD. Uh, but Mario Pay's 1949, The Story of Language, is where this, like, fake history came from. Um, y'all, like, most things that they say came from some sort of acronym linguistically didn't. Very few of those are actually where words came from, just to, like, put a big old spoiler alert on any of your etymological fantasies. Um, anyway, I just thought that was fascinating. Uh, the potato, though, is, like... It's an herbaceous perennial. It grows to about two feet high. And depending on the variety, some are a little larger, smaller. Um, And when the leaves die back after flowering, fruiting, and, you know, tuber formation. So they actually do have, like, cute little flowers when they're flowering that are either white, pink, red, blue, or purple. And they have these, like, bright yellow stamens in the center of the flower. And in general, tubers with white flowers have white skins, and those with colored flowers tend to have like the pinkish or the purple skins. So you can actually kind of figure out the color of a potato by looking at the flowers. And they're mostly cross-pollinated by insects, you know, like our good friend the bee. But a good amount of like self-fertilization also occurs, which is great. You know, they can really like, they can take care of themselves. And the tubers naturally form in response to shortening daylight. You know, that's why they're a great winter crop. But that's something that's been bred out in a lot of like the newer commercial species. Um, And after they flower, they do produce a fruit. But I mentioned the fruit will fucking kill you. It looks like a green cherry tomato, but, you know, it's poison. So just don't don't eat it, y'all. And each of these little fruits contains about 300 seeds. So, you know, they're not fucking around here. They're going to get those seeds out in the world. So you want to grow a potato. Uh, these are actually excellent candidates for container gardening because it helps you protect them from like their natural predators, like little voles and stuff that get into them in the ground. And if you have little ones, this is actually like a super cute project to do with your kids. Like they grow really fast and there's, there's a lot of yield for like the amount of space that they actually take up. And then you can have like a little treasure hunt with the kiddos when harvest time rolls around by like dumping out the container and letting them like dig out all the potatoes. So, you know, It'd be cute or whatever. Uh, the the timing for planting in a container, though, is, is basically identical to the ground. You want to plant them about two weeks after the last frost in your region. Some people try to grow potatoes from grocery store potatoes, but unless they're organic that haven't been sprayed with um, a chemical that slows down sprouting, it's kind of going to be a tough challenge because... They do have to, like, treat a lot of potatoes that end up in the grocery stores with chemicals that will delay that, like, sprouting process. Because once things start sprouting and turning green, remember, that's when they can become hazardous to your health and a little toxic. So it's it's better off to just use what they call a seed potato. And you can get them from, like, nurseries or specialty organic growers that are really specifically for growing new potatoes. You can grow them in like any sort of large container, including like, you know, a big grow pot, a big garbage can, or my personal favorite, grow bags. Um, I use grow bags for a lot of my home vegetable gardening, and they're awesome if you like are in a space that you rent or you can't get into the ground for some reason. Um, So you'll just want to make sure, though, whatever you grow them in has great drainage. So if it doesn't already have drainage holes, you need to add them by drilling holes into the bottom of the container. And potatoes have a kind of different technique than other homegrown vegetables. So it's it's a technique called hilling, where you're gradually going to bury the stems by heaping additional soil around the plant as it grows upward. And so the lower buried stems will develop additional root structures, which are, you know, where you get more potatoes as the hill grows higher. So you really need to do that to get the maximum harvest, which is like, I think, all of our goal when we're growing food at home. And burying the stems also prevents the potatoes from being exposed to light, which we again know is bad for the crop and potentially for your health. So double win. Uh, So when you first plant it, the seed potatoes are just going to be barely covered with soil, and then you just keep heaping the soil around the plant as it grows. You'll want to, of course, use like a high-quality organic potting soil as well as organic fertilizers. The, The other good thing here, especially if you're like 
newer to vegetable gardening, organic fertilizers are a lot more forgiving if you accidentally overdo it. So it is a really good bonus because it's easy to get like root burn with some like commercial fertilizers, but things like, you know, um, earthworm castings, like making a tea out of that or using like fish emulsion, those things are not going to necessarily cause like root burn. Also, it's like root burn is bad, but in this case, you're eating the root. So especially bad. Exactly. Exactly. Um, And some people, when they get their seed potatoes, some people immediately like plop them in the ground or in the container and get going. Some people just like wait for them to sprout, but both ways will work. So, you know, feel free to try maybe both and see what you like. But the, um, the most quote unquote approved method is to cut the seed potatoes into pieces and each piece should have at least two eyes. And then you'll wait for the cut surfaces to callus over, like just wait a few days before planting. And then what you do is you fill your container with about like six inches of potting soil that you'll blend with like fertilizer and compost. Put the potato pieces on top of the potting mix with their eyes facing up. And, you know, they'll get pretty big. So you don't want to like overcrowd. Like for a container that's like 20 inches wide, it can probably take about four pieces of your seed potato. And I know it's not going to look like a lot when you're planting, but again, like the yield will probably surprise you the first time around. So just like, trust me, you'll get a lot of potato for that. So once they're in there, again, you're going to cover them with just like a couple inches of potting soil. Don't overdo it because you're going to be hilling. And then potatoes, like every other plant in the world, can't grow without sun and water. So you want to make sure that the container is getting like six ideally even eight hours of sun per day and you're going to water the newly planted potatoes well you're going to keep it moist but not wet so again like good potting soil that has good drainage will help with that as well as your drainage holes but you do need to check it daily so either stick your finger in the soil up to the second knuckle to see if it's dry or you know don't forget you can use a wooden chopstick there as well if that's something that's easier for you and you do want to water it deeply until the water runs out of the bottom so you can encourage those deep roots like we talked about last week. And then you just get to hilling as the plant grows. And then after the plants have flowered, then you can like harvest anytime. You know, once they've flowered, you can start pulling out like one or two potatoes, like kind of as needed. You'll just reach down into the soil and pull them out just a couple at a time. And then later in the season, when all of the plant on top of the soil has yellowed and died back, then you're going to want to harvest the rest of your potato friends. So that's when you just like turn the container over and get to like your little digging treasure hunt. And then to store them, of course, you just brush the dirt off, let them dry for a couple of days, and then store them in like baskets or paper bags, something that allows them to breathe. Um, and yeah, they, uh, they'll they hang out for a while, which is great. They're such a good crop. And again, they are, they're something that's like pretty easy and has like a huge yield, which is not what you get with a lot of home vegetable growing. Yeah. I mean, nothing, nothing, nothing's worse than, you know, growing your, your tomatoes and your okra in the summertime. And you're like, wow, I've put lots of time into this for my two tomatoes that right. the squirrels didn't get to. Oh my God. I went out to my strawberry plant and some little fucker had taken off with one of my strawberries. I was so bummed. Um <laughs> Anyway, let's talk potato magic, y'all. So potatoes are a feminine tuber associated with the moon, the element earth, and image and healing magics. They're also associated with St. Patrick, Lou, Taitu, and the astrological sign Virgo. No way. Right. I am a potato. I feel that in my soul. So you traditionally see potatoes like used kind of as poppets and the potato eyes can be used as eye representations on poppets that are made from other materials as well. And they say that a potato carried in the pocket will cure toothaches and guard against rheumatism, warts and gout. And to protect yourself from a cold, it was once recommended that you carry a potato in your pocket or purse all winter, which is a big mood and a commitment because it also specifies that this needs to be the same potato for all of winter. I, so, you know, I mean, I could see it, but I'm really hoping that like this thing does not go mushy in my in my bag. Right? I'm just <laughs> like, can we not ruin my debit card? 
<laughs> not today, please. Um, and then I was when I was doing my research, I found this website, themagicalkitchen.com, and the Magical Kitchen had a great recipe for a banishing spell using mashed potatoes, um, which I am here for. So she should uh, she suggests taking one of the potatoes that you'll boil for your mash and carefully carving the likeness of the person you want to banish into it. Or if you aren't creative in that way, you could also like carve their name into it or like a symbol that represents them. This is someone that's like making your life hellish that you just want to like leave you the fuck alone. So once you do that, you're going to cut it into one inch pieces like you do for the rest of your potatoes. And then when you put them into the pot of water, which y'all always start potatoes in cold water, pro tip, uh, you're going to stir counterclockwise and envision this person leaving your life. And then once your potatoes have boiled and when you begin to mash them, you're going to continue with that vis- visualization and just like relish the idea of that person leaving your life as you eat and enjoy some tasty mashed potatoes. And that's just such a delicious spell and really made me want potatoes for dinner. And luckily, my very sweet neighbors left us with some uh, vegan potato salad Ooh, after Memorial Day yesterday. So having that tonight for dinner... Um, and you can also incorporate potatoes into a grounding spell. So you could think about maybe placing a few, you know, perhaps three, or if you want to do the four directions, you could do one at each direction and, you know, you can put them around in like the circle you're casting and they can be like a physical representation of your earth connection. And then you can eat them after the spell to extend the magic a little bit further. So I used a few sources today, um, The Spruce, Wikipedia, Cunningham's Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs, TheMagicalKitchen.com, which I mentioned, and The Green Witch Oracle. So, Mm. potato. Potato. I just love potatoes, man. Um, Also, this is like kind of an aside, but I do have to say Nick makes like the best fried potatoes, like the fried breakfast potatoes. So good. Nick doesn't... it's all about, I will tell you, this is like a this is like a family secret. I'm sharing it with you guys because Ooh. I love y'all. Um, the secret is you put the onions in at the same time and you let them go black while the potatoes fry. So while you have your like golden roasty potatoes, some, but not all, of your onions are gonna get a little black and crispy. Ooh. And mm. here's the thing that is on purpose. And actually, in Chinese cuisine, blackened onion is considered, like, one of the best flavors. So, um, something, Here that for my, it. something that my mom has always done is, is just that. you Because uh, a lot of times, if you're doing, if you look up a recipe for uh, sort of a fried breakfast potato with onions, um, they will say to wait a bit before you add the onions. So, they just get caramelized through. Let them get black. It's alarming. But delicious. It's a little alarming when you're like, I am burning something. And yes, it will smoke because you're burning something. It's fucking delicious. Try it. Yeah, Nick's. I'm vouching for Nick's potatoes. And if the last like 20 minutes of me talking about potatoes and waxing poetic has proven anything, it's that I know good potatoes. (laughs) Uh So QWP today, this one's going to be pretty short and sweet, but on the theme of basics, like I just wanted to talk about one of my pet peeves and that's that so, 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 so many jar spells that you see online or that you'll read in like, you know, those popular books recommend burying the jar when you're done with the spell. So let's talk about the problems there. Uh, First, glass takes quite literally 1 million years to decompose. So... Think about that for a minute. Um, And the earth moves and things shift, which, you know, especially if you live somewhere like Los Angeles, you're very aware of how much it moves. Over a million years. Yeah. Over a million years. Yeah. There's going to be new continents. Things are going to run into each other in that, in that like time. But even well before that, you know, eventually it's like those, those pieces of like very likely broken glass will resurface at some point. And when that happens, like animals or I guess humans, if you care about that, uh, could be hurt. And we don't want to cause like that type of pain to poor little woodland critters. You don't want that tied to your magic. 
or to people. Uh, no, no people pain, I guess. But really, let's do this for the squirrels, y'all. Uh, you also have to think about the space that that takes up, right? Like, I love to garden, and I don't want a graveyard of old spell jars taking up like a good portion of like real estate in my yard if I were to have one. Um, and also, if you wanted to like undo the spell, you'd have to dig it back up, which could also be hard if it's not well marked or if you've got some sort of weird like pet cemetery for old spell jars in your backyard. Uh, so it's also just a waste of a good jar uh, as as a witch. And I'm assuming most of y'all are probably the same. I've got a shit ton of jars, but I always have a use for one. And why would I want to waste a perfectly good jar? So next time you're looking at a spell that really needs to be buried after you're done, maybe consider like a paper bag or just burying like the organic parts of the spell. But I would also ask you to consider whether or not the spell actually needs to be buried. Like if there's a funeral aspect to the ritual, that makes total sense. But sometimes it's just something you could actually keep on a windowsill or on your altar. Like, not everything needs to be plunged into the earth. So, you know, there's just lots of alternatives that aren't wasteful and potentially dangerous to, like, our cute little animals and, you know, people or whatever. So, you know, just, like, be respectful of the planet and of the things that we share it with and also of your own need for good jars on demand. Can can I jump in here? Yeah. Okay. So with this QWP, I had I had some things I wanted to tack on. Uh, so first of all, with the glass not being biodegradable, so uh, they think they're very sure. But you know, it's science. So unless anyone saw it happen, it's always they think. Um, but they're pretty sure that there was like a Tunguska style um, meteor strike. Uh, in the Sahara Desert, probably like a million years ago, and which also helped create the Sahara Desert. Um, and they're still finding glass from that. Yeah. In the sand. Because the heat turned all the sand that was already there into glass. Uh, and they're still finding pieces of it. So uh, literally a million years. Also, yeah. And this is not uh, magical, re- magic related, but don't try to do a fucking message in a bottle. Oh, God, no. Don't. Please don't. Don't. Oy, just that's don't littering. Do that. That's just fucking that's, littering. That's just, that's just littering. And I remember I was on a cruise and I saw some people throwing a fucking message in a bottle out over the thing. And it's like, you know what? Fuck you. Just throw yeah. you're littering. You're just littering. No one's gonna read that. You're a fucking idiot. Yeah. So we say you probably don't have to fucking bury it, honestly. <laughs> For the most part, you don't. But if you do, there's so many ways to do it that don't involve, you know, somebody a million years from fucking now, whenever like, you know, cockroaches have become sentient and taken over the planet, you know. A little cockroach gonna... archaeologist is right. like, what is this? <laughs> They're going to be making Ow, up. I cut my hand. Going to be making up all sorts of weird ass stories for where that came from. Anyway, <laughs> so we just wanted to do like a little one because you know, it's it's little but also has a big impact because it's like imagine if every witch that you know or saw on the internet just like buried all their spell jars, we would be out of fucking room on Maybe the out planet. Of jars. Oh, God, and out of jars. So anyway. The real crisis here. <laughs> I know. What What are witches without jars? We're just like crazy old ladies in black. Um, so it is getting close to the bitter end, though. And I have to, I have to share a confession with y'all guys. Like, I've been off my game with my, like, daily tarot and oracle draws and journaling. Like, I've had a lot of big family drama and such, you know, plus, like, my herbalism course has been going on. And it's just taken, like, kind of a backseat for me. Um, So today when I did my random number generator, Virgo came up, uh, which I was like, God damn it, the universe must really, like, need to talk. So... For all of my other Virgo lovelies out there, and for me, uh, I've drawn Rosemary, which just as an aside happens to go perfectly with potatoes. Uh, And Rosemary is great for work about like connection to other people, to plants, to important concepts. And 
This card is a reminder to ensure that we're staying in touch with our inner wisdom, paying heed to the past, and to just double check that we've cleared up all that needs to be released. And that's such a good spring message, no? Like, this is an invitation to listen to our intuition and what is calling to us right now. And just to really, like, check in with that, like, inner voice that's going to tell you what is important. Like, that's that's such a good spring message. And also clearing stuff out. I mean, I cleaned my bathroom so hard this weekend, and it felt so nice. So nice. So, anyway... Uh, As we know, my Oracle guidebook also has some great little spells and the recommendation in here is to like create a smoke cleansing wand with rosemary, which I'm pretty sure we discussed in like episode two. So go team. (laughs) Go team. (laughs) Go team wands and fronds. So yeah, that was the, that was the basic witches episode. Yeah. You're basic. You're basic. Uh, <laughs> You're devastated right now. <laughs> I love Ted Danson so much. No, he really is great. Uh, and yeah, really, you guys, like, sort of the idea with this one is you, in your own lives, take a little time to get back to the basics. You know, it's like when Martha Stewart does does an episode where she's like, here's how to make pound cake. Yes. It's fucking important to know how to make pound cake because that's literally the base recipe you're going to use for every other cake yeah (laughs) like it this stuff we make light of it it does matter yeah there's a reason the basics are considered fundamentals y'all yes so you build stuff off of it so well thank you all we love you all uh special shout out to bridget who sent in a very sweet email uh yeah 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 uh Hello, Bridget. Uh, we got your email. Uh, we were we were pretty heated about that topic, so we you know, I'm glad so, glad someone else feels the same. <laughs> um, yeah. So if you all want to send us a great email like Bridget did and make our day, you can reach out to us at Wands and Fronds Pod on Instagram or email us at Wands and Fronds Pod at gmail.com. Which I will I will now be able to get on. Yeah, we fixed it. Uh, I got a new I got a new phone number, everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, very important. I'm not, not gonna, that we're gonna give it to you. I'm you not gonna re- give it to you, but I do have to say that the last four digits are one thousand, which I'm, uh, someone had to have died. Really though, because honestly, I feel like I'm living in the future. Like with that phone number saved in my phone, it's like mm, one thousand. Oh, right, the future. But yes, so it was like tied to my uh, old phone number, which but we fixed it, and now Nick can get into the email. And you can you can email me a bag of rubies. You can email me uh, an invitation to Atlantis. Still at waiting for you know, still waiting for that one. Someone did send us a picture of rubies though one time, which was very fun and sweet. Yes, we'll take um, that too. Or citrine. We have opened up the floor. Really, any precious gems or citrine. Or citrine. Also, you know, lewd remarks. Didn't get hardly any lewd remarks for my birthday. So keep them coming if if you're out there and you want to send one in. Yeah. Uh, We love them all the time. So what? We we want we want five stars. We We want want you to download the episode. We want you to download the episode. Get your you know, get your roommate to download it too i mean they might not listen to it but fuck them i mean first of all the world's opening back up get your uber driver to download it yeah spread the word i've done it i talk to my uber drivers all the time about my podcast so (laughs) i I can do it and i'm a celebrity you can do it. yeah i mean nick and i are clearly celebrities um no but for real though we love you guys (laughs) right in. we do love to hear that that email today really did make my whole day hmm so sweet. So, but what do we what do we say? What do we say to all the bitches? To all of the basic bitches, basic witches out there, we say blessed be bitches. Blessed be basic bitches. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye now. Potatoes are now one of the most important parts of the for- foods. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs>